Life is just too short to go through without some kind of passion. Find your passion. Our passion is medical education. This is Clinical Pearls. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, man, I wonder how this medicine or medical therapy came to be? I know that sounds really geeky, and I'm sorry, but I do that. I mean, I remember being an intern and thinking, wait, we give magnesium to prevent seizures? Why does that even work? Yeah, I had learned it in medical school, but I remembered the answer. Preeclampsia, or eclampsia, prophylaxis or treatment, magnesium sulfate. But I never really figured out how it kind of prevented seizures or treated seizures because it wasn't a traditional anti-epileptic drug. Well, in this podcast, we're going to cover the kind of weird history of magnesium sulfate for preeclampsia slash eclampsia prevention or treatment, because it's still the standard first-line therapy. But more importantly, we're also going to review a new publication that's not even in print yet. It was just released as a publication ahead of print by Obstetrics and Gynecology in March of 2022. The title of this systematic review is The Duration of Postpartum Mag Sulfate. This is an important article that may be changing the paradigm of how we use magnesium sulfate, specifically in the postpartum period. So, once again, let's do our typical scenario of you're sitting for your oral boards, and your board investigator asks you, how long do you continue mag sulfate for? Well, you know we've all rehearsed that answer and memorized that set phrase, 24 hours postpartum. But the truth is, that's not evidence-based. That's historical tradition. And in some patients, 24 hours may be excessive, and in others, may not be enough. So we're going to cover that new article once we touch base on the history of magnesium, covering what is the best time to use magnesium sulfate in the postpartum period in terms of duration. Is it 8 hours, 12 hours, 24, or more? So let's get into that information now. Now, before we get into the specifics on that new Green Journal article, a quick word about the history of magnesium sulfate for this indication, because it's pretty interesting. First of all, remember that preeclampsia and eclampsia are not modern diagnoses. I mean, these existed in Hippocrates' times. But since then to now, obviously and thankfully, we've gained a lot of new information. I mean, remember when preeclampsia used to be called toxemia? Now, I wasn't practicing when that was a thing, but I learned that from its historical context that it used to be considered a kind of a retention of toxic byproducts of the body's metabolism. And so what would ensue is a hypertensive response called toxemia. Of course, we don't use that term anymore, but the history of this whole issue is just fascinating, which brings us to magnesium sulfate. There were big strides made in the treatment of preeclampsia and obviously eclampsia in the earliest 20th century. Remember, that's the early 1900s. Successful treatment of spasms of tetanus with intrathecal magnesium sulfate was the impetus for the IV trial in women with eclampsia in the early 20th century. It was on that basis that an intern at the Los Angeles General Hospital in 1924 first suggested IV mag sulfate for the treatment of eclampsia. The intravenous mag sulfate controlled the seizures in all 17 eclamptic women that received it, and the observed maternal mortality rate of 6% was much lower than the existing historical average that was 30%. 
Yep, not a big N. We're talking of an N of 17 women who had this experimental treatment of mag sulfate. But once again, that came out of the U.S. It wasn't Europe or Spain, nothing wrong with those countries, but it was the USA who led that study, specifically California in 1924. Now, let's stop there for a minute because think about it. I mean, crazy, right? I mean, this had never been done before and somebody gets the idea. Let me inject mag into this person and see what happens. Remember, mag at very high doses can kill somebody. So this is just the exact combination of brilliant genius and kind of cavalier cowboy medicine that was kind of around. But this is what we need to move the needle. And obviously, in this case, it worked, and it's still first-line therapy. Mag sulfate was later observed at the national level in the U.S. to reduce the overall mortality rate from preeclampsia and eclampsia to less than 5%. Mag sulfate has been the proven superior agent compared to diazepam or phenytoin for the prevention of recurrent eclamptic seizures since that time. Now, more recently, in a comparison with placebo in the MAGPIE trial, which we'll talk about a little bit more in just a minute, magnesium was found to cut both the risk of eclampsia as well as maternal mortality among those who received the medication. And from those early beginnings and then to the MAGPIE trial to now, magnesium sulfate is the international worldwide standard and first-line agent for the prevention of eclamptic seizures in those with hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Well, now that we have that kind of weird history established, the next question is, well, how does MAG actually work? Well, the short answer is no one's really sure. The exact mechanism of action of magnesium sulfate is not known. Reports, though, have it that magnesium actually acts centrally to prevent convulsions by blocking the neuromuscular transmission and decreasing the amount of acetylcholine that's liberated at the end plate of the motor nerve impulse. But magnesium also has a peripheral effect. Magnesium acts peripherally to produce vasodilation, which may lead to flushing and sweating at low doses, while at larger doses may cause a lowering of blood pressure. So remember that MAG is not a typical antihypertensive medication, but it can lower blood pressure at higher doses. The onset of the anticonvulsant action is immediate with the IV route and without maintenance therapy lasts about 30 minutes. Remember that the effective anticonvulsant level for magnesium is between 4 and 8 milligrams per deciliter. Magnesium is excreted solely by the kidney at a rate that's determined by both the plasma concentration of mag and the glomerular filtration rate. Now that we've laid down that little bit of history and quick review, now let's get into the AJOG new publication. This summary is taken from an EPUB from the Green Journal released in March of 2022, but again, it hasn't come out in print yet. It's a systematic review, and the title is Duration of Postpartum Magnesium Sulfate for the Prevention of Eclampsia. Now, this is not just a systematic review, but it's also a meta-analysis. 
This systematic review reminds us of something that we've already touched on, the MAGPIE trial. That's M-A-G-P-I-E. Don't you just love these names? That actually stands for Magnesium Sulfate for the Prevention of Eclampsia. And it was a randomized trial that gave women either IV or IM magnesium bolus followed by 24 hours of either IV or IM maintenance magnesium therapy. Now, in the MAGPIE trial, the total duration of magnesium sulfate exposure was 24 hours. And that's where that 24 kind of got locked in by practice. So results from the MAGPIE trial have been extrapolated. And of course, it's now common practice internationally for patients with preeclampsia or eclampsia to receive magnesium sulfate IV during labor and delivery and to continue the infusion for 24 hours postpartum. As the main point that drove this systematic review and meta-analysis, the authors make it plain and clear that this 24-hour postpartum infusion is done despite the lack of consensus on the optimal duration for postpartum use. So let's back up there for just a minute, okay? Because if your thought is, hey, what's the big deal? I mean, it's 24 hours. We've done it forever. Just go ahead and do it. Well, that's fine, but remember that infusion of mag sulfate is not without some kind of risk or side effect. Some of these side effects can be small, but others can be pretty devastating. Several small, underpowered trials have attempted to determine whether shorter durations of postpartum mag for either prevention of eclampsia or treatment of eclampsia is associated with worse outcomes, all the while balancing that risk of potential side effects. So that was the purpose of the systematic review, to look at whether there's a difference between 8 hours, 12 hours, or 24 hours of magnesium sulfate for either treatment or prevention of eclampsia postpartum. The authors selected studies that were randomized controlled trials that reported a comparison of magnesium sulfate postpartum for 24 hours to any other time duration and reported a rate of eclampsia. Now, check this out, because I love medical research. I really do. But this is why it's so frustrating and so time-consuming, because these authors actually identified 3,629 available studies. But after all of the exclusions and after evaluating which ones actually met study criteria for this, they were left with 10. Yep, from 3,629 to a whopping 10 studies were included in the quantitative analysis. How's that for eliminating some studies? 3,600 down to 10. The duration of postpartum magnesium sulfate really did vary among these trials, with six studies comparing 12 hours with 24, three studies compared six hours with 24 hours, and one study compared eight hours with 24 hours. Well, after a bunch of statistics, what's the skinny on the results? Well, here it is. Shorter duration of magnesium sulfate, like 12 hours or less, was not associated with any increased risk of eclampsia compared with the traditional 24 hours of use. Studies randomizing women with preeclampsia did not show increased risk of eclampsia with shorter treatment regimens, nor did trials randomizing those who had eclampsia. Secondary outcomes, including flushing, duration of Foley catheter insertion, time to ambulation, and duration of the entire hospital stay were actually all, not surprisingly, reduced with shorter duration of magnesium sulfate. 
But one of the main issues here is that preeclampsia isn't just one box that a patient carries, right? There's all these different manifestations and possible presentations. This study, therefore, does have a number of limitations. Despite the large number of trials originally identified, well, eclampsia is overall rare. So a power calculation using a 1% incidence of eclampsia estimated that more than 9,000 women would be required to see a 50% reduction with magsulfate. And of course, in this study, the population numbered was only 1,700. So it remains highly underpowered to identify whether shorter duration of magsulfate is actually really associated with a reduction in seizure activity. Another limitation is that the authors were just unable to assess whether the duration of magnesium sulfate before delivery plays any role in the rate of postpartum eclampsia. I mean, that wasn't looked at. So in short, the systematic review and the meta-analysis did find that shorter duration of postpartum magnesium sulfate did not increase the risk of eclampsia, although the data showed significant heterogeneity and it remained largely underpowered to make any firm conclusions. So we got to the end of the podcast and are you thinking, well, wait a minute, well, that's great. I got to the end of the stinking podcast and we don't have any firm conclusions. Well, we got to read between the lines here. One, there's plenty of evidence that shows that 24 hours may not be necessary in the otherwise, quote, soft calls for preeclampsia. And if they had an eclamptic seizure early on the labor process and they otherwise remain stable, maybe 24 hours is not necessary. Now, in my disclosure, I'm very conservative and I'm a little afraid. So I kind of continue magnesium sulfate for 24 hours if the patient at any time definitely had an eclamptic seizure. We got to make sure it's eclampsia, not some other neurological process. So for me personally, this is just my two cents, my commentary. I do like to continue magnesium sulfate for 24 hours in the setting of eclampsia. But this meta-analysis, even though underpowered, showed it probably is not necessary. Now take the other side of the coin, or case number two, the patient with preeclampsia without severe features who's just done stellar throughout her labor and delivery process. She's not required any antihypertensive urgent medications, labs are normal, and postpartum, I mean, she's got great urine output. Well, in this case, because she's already shown some clinical resolution of vasospasm, I stop mag anywhere from 8 hours to 12 hours postpartum and then continue to follow her blood pressures very closely on the postpartum ward. So you see how there's some individualization here. So like we started at the beginning of the podcast and we all rememorized or rehearsed that phrase 24 hours postpartum. The better answer is... I continue mag sulfate until it's clinically not needed anymore. In other words, it's a case-by-case -case basis where rather than treating everybody the same at 24 hours of postpartum mag sulfate, we should probably have always looked at the patient and the patient's specific manifestation of disease. So if they have relatively mild criteria and are doing well, I give it for less than 24 hours, although we continue to follow her very closely. But for those that have more critical or more brittle disease, or in some cases have actually had a seizure, then I continue that magnesium sulfate for 24 hours. And should she have a seizure on the 23rd hour of her 24 hour of infusion? Well, that just resets the clock. And again, magnesium sulfate may have to be continued beyond the first 24 hours postpartum. So the take home message is in all that podcast, in all that wordiness, 
is use patient selection and remember to follow the patient clinically to help guide the duration for postpartum mag sulfate. Well, there you have it. This is set to come out in obstetrics and gynecology, and it hasn't actually come out in print yet, but it looks like it'll be out either in April or in May of 2022. This has been a systematic review and meta-analysis on the duration of postpartum magnesium sulfate for the prevention of eclampsia. Once again, we're thankful for you, and we're thankful that you're part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.